Welcome back to the Edgiverse Enigma podcast. This week, we're chatting with special guest Hugo Gatsby, co-founder of Stridea Design Labs and facilitator at Deloitte. This episode, we'll be diving into the concept of time and life, the importance of creativity and exploring who you are, and insightful life stories. You won't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Edgiverse Enigma podcast. Very excited today to have Hugo Gatsby on. Uh, I normally say what university or what organization someone's from, um, but there are so many. uh, But to to list a few that you've been a part of over the years, Harvard, NASA, Deloitte, National Geographic, the Military Academy, your own companies with Stratia, Design Labs. To, To start us off, I would love to hear in your own words, who is Hugo Gatsby? Jesus, that's a tough <laughs> question. I, I don't even know how to answer that. Um, I would, I would have to say, a person searching for for answers would probably be the best. Um, I was walking down the street the other day, and it came to me that I'm actually a futurist. And, and when I explained it to somebody, it was this kind of analogy of my stepdad always putting me into these wonderful uh situations where if no one actually knew what was going on they're like yeah your dad probably just doesn't like you and sending you away to a lot of things but it was you know going to military college when i was 14 moving to france when i was 15 building a mustang uh, when my dad got brain cancer um when i was 17 you know it was always giving me something to do always giving me something to solve and fix and just tinker with and i think a lot of it was like self-development and a lot of it still stays with me to this day so i'd I'd say if I'm anything, it's, you know, it's a construct of, of my stepdad and a futurist would be the more diplomatic way of saying it, I guess. And forever curious, it seems. Yeah, hundred percent. Always, always a very curious person. Awesome. And, uh, I guess I have a question from that, but to take one step back, I always like to ask whereabouts are you located in the world right now for the audience to know? Uh, I am in my office with no windows because it's in the basement of my house um, in Hamilton, Ontario. Awesome, awesome. And it is a very cool office. Wish we could uh, show the the audience a, a quick tour, but uh, no, very cool office that you have there. Thanks. Appreciate uh, that. Going off the always curious, uh, I know I at the start there I listed all kinds of different organizations that you work for, but you also have so many different hobbies and things that you're interested in. So I wanted to list four different topics and dive into whichever one that you want to go into first. I'm sure we'll touch on some of the others throughout as well. Um, But to list the four, whiskey, painting, Minotaurs, and Red Alert Yuri's Revenge. Which one would you like to dive into? I mean, I I don't know how to even contribute to that last one. Um, I think... We can we can start with the Minotaur one because I think that's the one you probably want to hear most about. Um, <laughs> so there 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 it's a multifaceted piece. Um, so we'll start with the not so happy part. Um, back when I was thirty, I was you know depressed, um, bankrupt, didn't really have anything to going, um, and had tried to commit suicide back then, um, and then I obviously didn't, and everything kind of worked out better than I ever anticipated or ma- imagined. Um, but more recently, I've been seeing a therapist about a lot of the stuff and we've, we've, I've come to the conclusion that there's that small little part of you, you don't really know what it is. And 
I've defined it as a minotaur and that's been like a reoccurring theme in my life because it's this, you know, segment of your imagination that's locked in this cavern or labyrinth of sorts. And a lot of it is of your own making. So you realize you're, you're stronger than you think. And I think when you realize that you do transform into somewhat of a minotaur. So I kind of like that concept, but the, the fun part of the minotaur is actually it, it spills into really creative things for me. Um, I recently have a son, about six, seven months old now, uh, in a few, in, in about two weeks, but we wanted to have godparents for our son. So we have local godparents for my daughter. We wanted to have more kind of global godparents. So my wife has a really great friend from Brazil and she has her own story. And I wanted my friend to have an equally compelling story. So I decided to give him these challenges all around the world. Uh, he's a, he travels for work. He's a sommelier, works for a bunch of Michelin restaurants. Uh, so I gave him these challenges in different countries all the time. And then when he came back, I actually got him uh, and his girlfriend a hotel across the street from an art gallery that I, I did a lot of work with and convinced him to let me put on an art display that my friend could steal in broad daylight, which then take him to an escape room that he'd have to escape with a bunch of friends of mine and at the end of it, it would lead to a dance battle that dance battle was against the minotaur so i had somebody from france design a minotaur mask for me and then i, I showed up as ivan drago from rocky four but as a minotaur version and had a whole dance battle that's been recorded and it was super fun and i think the, the idea was that i i have a friend that's willing to do just about anything crazy for just for fun and just just to be in the moment so now he's a god brother and like a brother to me. So we're now family officially and, and no backseas. So that's that's kind of how the Minotaur part came into being. Um, yeah, fun, fun little, I love it. Fun little story. Yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't really know the the other side of it before that. Obviously, I was there to see the dance battle, but uh, oh, interesting was, to hear was, more of the. It background. was great. My wife brought down a card to to James and it said, you know, uh, today's the. Today is the final challenge. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you Caffrey enough? And Caffrey is in capital letters. And no idea what that meant. And that is like, there was a show with a guy named Neil Caffrey that, that Hugo likes, but I'm not sure. And then they Google it. And it's like, Neil Caffrey, international art thief. And then the girlfriend of James is like, now fiance, by the way, uh, says, you know, Hugo oh. got the hotel for us. And Natty's like, it's across the street from an art gallery. So James just says out loud, He's not expecting us to steal an art piece, is he? And as soon as he said it, he laughed. He's like, that's exactly what has to happen. And I didn't tell him what the piece was. They had to find it. So they actually found there there was two things they were going to potentially steal. One they could steal, and the other one they couldn't. And they were very close to each other. So I was hoping it leaned to like the one. And he's like, after I read the abstract, I knew that was the thing I had to steal. I was like, good. We went really awkward. They stole something they weren't allowed to. <laughs> Yeah, it might might have made for a better story in the end. <laughs> oh, it, it, it is. It's a pretty great story. The security guy was watching, just laughing hysterically. He's like, I can't believe we actually did this. I'm like, Yeah, I can't do anything. And I guess I'm curious. Like, off of that, obviously, the Edgeverse Enigma podcast is all about um, education and how it relates to technology for the most part, but really education and how it can be delivered in more impactful ways and curious with that like with building that story uh, of having james as the godfather like what are you trying to or are you trying to pass anything on through that education learning wise to oscar or anything i don't know to your kids in general 
Yeah, like I, we we recorded it, we documented so that if ever I tell him the story, he doesn't believe me, we can show him. I think, I I, I think the thing I want people to know that that experience these things with me is that it doesn't matter what age you are, uh, you know, you're you're young at heart if you're young at heart, and then that's just a decision you get to make, and also that anything is possible, and I think you know VR is a perfect platform to create virtually anything to be possible um i think with that comes a great sense of responsibility on how it's developed and how it's manifested and how it's used for everything from learning to you know making friends to just understanding the intricacies of your own kind of personal self-reflection there's there's a great potential for for vr for all those things uh, and learning in general but that's that's kind of how i take that user experience it should be a very genuine a very genuine feeling and there should it should be thoughtful there should be a good sense of thought within each kind of step along the way for sure and i i think that kind of leads into we talk about like gamification a lot um mm-hmm. on on our bi-weekly calls and uh something i was trying to get something to reference for for gamification and that's why i brought up Red Alert, Yuri's Revenge, because uh, I was chatting with with your cousins because uh, we're working with them on on the wrap of the bus, and they were saying Red Alert, Yuri's Revenge was one of the arcade games that you're really into. But I know you also talked about other arcade games that no, <laughs> maybe not that never, one. <laughs> never have I ever played. No, Marvelous Capcom Two <laughs> is my jam. No one would beat in Soul Calibur or Marvelous Capcom Two. There was not a single person that could beat me. I was. I even when I was in Boston. Um, there was a tech hub and a bunch of nerdy guys that were just great. I love them. But when I went to business school, by the way, so business school is not art school. So when you're in business school, you get a laptop for, for school. But when you have to go in, you have to give your, your background, you have to give your, like your information. They, they take a look at your dossier. So the tech guys saw that I was a, a designer and an artist. At, so they gave me a really great laptop as opposed to just like a generic run of the mill. I became friends with them. They built this kind of emulator of Marvel's Capcom but with all the characters everybody from like Lynx to My Little Pony was on this thing so they would always play this game and it was and they would play weekly but it'd be right before one of my classes so I would just go down there and just watch them and, pl- and watch and see how it functioned see how it worked and never wanted to play and I was like no I can't play I can't play guys I don't want to and they're like oh you can't do this and I was like didn't say that so I went in and just absolutely like murked somebody and then the person who actually created the system came by and played, and I just I, I didn't I didn't I didn't beat him like horribly, but it was it was a it was pretty it was pretty one sided. Like I was still winning by by a good landslide. And they're like, "How do you know this?" I'm like I had this arcade in my in my living room when I was going for my master's degree. I'm like played it a thousand times probably. So, yeah, never never don't even know what your revenge is to be honest. Okay, well, I got some bad intel then. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But I don't know if it was Marvel versus Capcom, or I can't remember which game it was. But similarly, I remember you saying, or maybe it was when I was reading your book that um, in Vancouver you would go to an arcade almost every day religiously. Yeah. That you'd walk down, you'd put a quarter down to hold your place in line, and then uh, you would use that yeah. one quarter, and it would last you the whole whole day uh, or the whole uh, lunch period i mean yeah it would, um, it, would, it would be a switch between um soul caliber and there was marvelous capcom one and marvelous capcom two there 
So I would I would take turns every day playing a different one. So I wasn't just boring myself with just one system, <laughs> one game. I mean, the Denver's the MC two is probably a little bit biased because I I had that one in my living room as well. So I was I was really good at that one. So yeah, but it was it was fun. I'm very jealous that you had. <laughs> An arcade actually, cabinet or two arcade cabinets in your living room. We actually did a prom night at the at the uh, arcade when we were in Vancouver. Just ran like we just dressed up. We weren't in school or anything. Like, I, I mean, I was in school, but my friends weren't. We just kind of randomly dressed up, and I showed up on a little scooter. It was the funniest thing. Uh, having like a little prom night there, we all dressed up and just had a really fun time playing like cheap arcades. <laughs> love, it, love. It. I, I enjoy that. And, you don't get that experience nowadays. No. <laughs> You uh, go over to somebody's house to play Nintendo Switch and can't really uh, plan a prom night around that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So much. <laughs> but uh, thinking of that and thinking of you, your latest book around just gamifying life in general, I'm curious if uh, from playing those arcade games, whether it was in Vancouver at the actual arcade or having the cabinets in your living room, like what what did that teach you about gamification in education or just in life in general? Um, great question. I, I think gamification for me came at a very early age. So I don't know if I, I think we talked about it before, but I was, I was nonverbal growing up. Uh, cause I'm on the spectrum. So being autistic was not something that the small farm town that I grew up on really knew a lot about. So gamification was a way that I would find to interact with the world. Um, when my parents got me a Nintendo, everything was just, my world changed. I was able to like play these expansive you know worlds and not have to talk to anybody and can be lost in my own kind of self-thought um growing up i ended up adopting a lot of those uh, methodologies into how i function my life uh so i have you know skills that i need to acquire at certain levels uh challenges i need to overcome financial goals that i need to have and the financial goals kind of came later in life after i realized that you know how i can make money and things um but then you know, certain, certain attributes, certain people I want to meet, certain friends I want to make, those were all part of my life. And, and that's how I've kind of gamified everything that I do to an extent. Um, because I've always kind of been a person that's on the outside looking in. So it was, it was a fun way to just to make it a game. I think it didn't hurt my feelings as much if it was a game as opposed to just the reality of that I had. Um, and I know distinguishing the two is probably something a little psychological but i think behavioral science was a thing that just na- i navigated towards not i didn't even realize what it was to be honest i, I had an I did an entire masters in the field without realizing it was you know behavioral science it was all art to me and then when i went to school for behavioral finance i had already known all the answers and like how do i know all this i didn't i didn't quite understand and when i explained to my teacher they're like you you've done all these things. You just didn't know what the terms were. And I think that's the part of learning that I enjoy is when you get that aha moment, you're like, well, geez, I just spent an, you know, X amount of dollars coming to this program, even though I've already learned everything in it. Um, so I really had a chance to like dive in and really understand the terminology of things. And, and that was like that other level that I never really saw. So I started to like evolve my, my concept of gaming as I grew up and I don't play too many video games now, but there's there's sparks where I just go on for like you know two or three months straight and just play it and then I'm good for a while and go back to it. 
says the guy that has an arcade cabinet right beside him. But <laughs> actually, I don't. I I got I got oh, rid you're... of it. I I, I got rid oh, of the yeah. arcade cabinet. I was I was building a racing one for my daughter. Then the, the one I was getting ended up being like all torn apart and broken and, and irreparable. So I got rid of my arcade because my wife said they can't have two arcades. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was I got rid of one so I could have the other, and then the other one I ended up not getting, which is unfortunate. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next for my daughter, but I'm probably going to mm-hmm. build her like a a race simulator because she loves she loves sitting in our cars pretending like she's driving so i want to give her that experience of like and i and i love racing games so yeah that is love it love it staying on the the train of gamification you were you've been an instructor or professor i think twice now if i'm not mistaken Um, yeah how do you tie that into when you're teaching or what you're doing as a teacher oh man i got my dead post society moment coming up this is great all right <laughs> so uh, i think having students understand that the teacher doesn't know everything but they know what they know and that collaboration gets you to a new level or a new stage and i think that progression is always something that education should be it's you know i'm never going to walk into a room and say like hey i'm the smartest person in the room I, I don't I don't even think that. I, I literally think I'm the person that's going to ask the dumbest questions of everybody because that's generally who I am. Um, you know, aptitude is one thing. Intelligence is another thing. But ego is something I just don't really appreciate. And I, I you know, I work in consulting. And there's enough people with egos there. I don't need to be another another person with an ego. <laughs> so when I when I teach, it's very much, you know, this this humbling feeling that I just wish I get to be the teacher that I wanted growing up. And there was a moment where I was teaching a class in Vancouver and it was this art. It was, it was about photography and there was a scene that I was creating. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to set up myself like this and set up the frame like this, but I need someone to push the button on the camera and I'm just going to run around in a circle and try it. And basically it's a form of what they call light painting. It's like putting a light on and doing some sort of motion and it'll create this, different uh, symbolism or different imagery so we do it and it, it comes together and then i pass the camera around and show everybody and they're like oh wow that's really great i can't believe we can do that it's so neat i was like yeah like this is great question is who's the artist they're like what I'm like was it me who set up the camera was it the person who pushed the button or was it the camera that actually took the imagery and this is back like 2009, 10. So, you know, AI was not really a thing. And conversations with like digital creations was not so much the forefront of mainstream media. And everyone was just kind of in awe. They're like, well, I don't know. He pushed the button. So he should have the rights to be the photographer. But I set everything up. He just had to push a button. It's like, well, why didn't you have a button on your, on your controller? I'm like, I could have, but I don't have that. So it's the fact that I didn't have the tool, the reason I'm not the artist. And it was just this massive conversation that everybody just, and we're sitting outside, by the way, there was no chairs, just sitting on the ground, everybody talking about it, but everybody had a point. Everybody had a valid opinion and no one can come to the conclusion of who should have ownership of the art. And it was just, you know, this coming of age moment. Everyone's like, wow, like maybe I'm don't understand everything. And then they asked me like, well, what's the right answer? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the right answer for you. I know what I think. I don't know if it's the right answer. I know legally, what I would fight. And I don't know if I didn't win because I'd have to pay for it. And it's like, is it really the artist who wins or is it the lawyer who wins them because they're getting all the money from it? And <laughs> everyone laughed. I'm like, I'm being serious. Like, think about how the world works with business. And 
all of those pieces kind of came to fruition. It was just this wonderful experience of, you know, how, how does gamification bring people to a new level? And I think that's what gamification has always been to me. It's just how do you forward progress all the time? And sometimes it's going back. Sometimes it's just reviewing things. Sometimes it's a little reflection, but it gets you to a new state, a new, a new sense, a new purpose, a new thought, whatever. Uh, and that was one of those moments where I had it, but I, I knew that all the students had a very similar experience. So yeah, it was cool. Very cool. And I guess the, for any other educators listening to this podcast, how would you say that they could go about looking at doing something gamified there? I think in the, in the art space, it might be a little bit easier because you have more creativity, but like, how would you yeah. go about doing some sort of similar activity? I know you're also taught in the business space. So yeah, maybe yeah. You have an example there. Um, it, that one's a little different because every, every situation has a different kind of modality or experience. What I can say is, and I'll make sure that you guys share the link to it, but I created this, um, gamification periodic table. So it's like, there's eight different categories to it. And those categories all facilitate a certain element of gamification and there's tactics in each of those categories. So what would, what you would want to do is look at each of the categories and sync them up to what that user experience would be and ensuring that you're covering at least something from each of the categories. I wouldn't say do all 64 cause that's just not probable, but you know, taking two or three from each or one or two even from each and just adding them to like one overall experience would get you into a solution that fits for what you need it for. I don't think taking, you know, when we talk about in consulting, we love our frameworks. We love our models. I don't think a framework or model solves everything. I think that there needs to be, your framework needs to have the level of customization that people have. I can talk about people like their cars or, or robots, but uh, <laughs> in, in that context, you know, um, what are some of the things like, you know, an avatar might be a really great thing. Whereas, you know, a leaderboard might be a really great thing, but if done the wrong way, it could actually deter, you know, or it might be one of those things that motivates people, depending on the class that you have and the type of people or personalities that you have. You know, there could be a guide or mentor, even just a simple wayfinding sign. So if you're taking a class, what are the signs that get you to that class in that school? And how do those signs change based on your class? You know, is there some sort of different style to it or different element that makes them think, oh, this is like really unique. You know, mm -hmm. if it was like a detective class, for example, I would almost want it to be like, you know, it's like, oh, we couldn't find signs. It's like, oh, signs are all over the wall. It's like, I didn't see them. It's like, did you have, you know, a black light? Like, why would I need a black light? This, this is investigation class. Think about it. And they're like, that's genius. It's like every week we're going to have the class in a different space in the, in the, in the school, but you have to use these sign, these wayfinding signs to find it. Like you laugh, but that's again, a way that the experience can evolve and make it immersive. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I love doing, um, or building. So yeah. And with that kind of stuff comes the, the cost and like, you know, the value of it. You're like, well, it's expensive. It's like, well, yeah, cause it takes time. I yes. Can, yeah. 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 I can, I can see how uh, any uh, first year students listening to this will get a little scared already not knowing the campus and now needing to have a black light to get around. But uh, I think, yeah, uh, that, 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 that's something a little more, <laughs> that's something a little more advanced. I, I would do yes. that for like a, like a graduate studies class of some sort, something really unique right. and kind of entertaining. But I mean, that, that's just like one example, even having like a, a mentor or a guide 
or some sort of like reward token system or incentivization or just, you know, a virtual currency of some sort. Like those are all options that you can use. And a lot of, a lot of, you know, credit cards and banks and, um, like fast food restaurants have all these different types of tools, like all those little gift cards and coupons. That's all gamification. That's all gamification, behavioral science, like gamification, behavioral science actually are paralleled in a lot of ways. Um, cause behavioral science and study of, you know, that, that fast action decision-making and gamification is a way to encourage you to take that action. So it, it really does kind of live in the same, same realm. We'll call it Portland, the realm of Portland. <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> anyway, my friends, friends from BC will be, I don't know. They'll be like Cascadia. I'm like, that's, that's what you're getting to. I'm like, yeah, that's what you're getting to. Um, <laughs> just Portland seems like a cool place. I've never actually been. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Portland it is that. Um you mentioned you mentioned Deloitte there and obviously I mentioned it at the start and the frameworks that you follow and I'm curious in in your new role or slightly new role um at Deloitte is there what would you say are the differences between kind of being an educator to students at a university or college versus kind of in this role educating business leaders and um staff at businesses yeah i mean the obvious money i think there is like you can't you can't run you can't be at one of the biggest firms in the world and not not think about money i i think you know education is made for people to learn whereas business decisions are made for people to be successful and and although those two conclusions should should be similar they actually wildly and vastly differ from each other I think, you know, Deloitte does a really great job of, you know, hiring the start some of the smartest people in the world solving problems. But sometimes we can't solve the problem too. We do the best we can, but you know, there's but the thing is with consulting, if I can't solve the problem, there is somebody in the room that can. Whereas with education, that's not always the case. Um so I think when you're when you're thinking of solving big, big problems, you need to have, you know, a collaboration, a mindset. But it also needs to be profit driven. It can't be, well, we need to get to we need to get to Mars. How are we gonna do it? Well, let's build a spaceship. Can we afford to build a spaceship? Well, no, you can't. So what's the next solution? Well, we might want to create it in a virtual space. Okay, how do we create it in a virtual space? But then what do we do with that virtual space to make the experience believable? You know, at, like adding in smells, adding in textures, adding in, you know, different spaces, like little elements that you can do to kind of create this use your imagination i think you know education is a great job of reducing the amount of imagination you use on things and i'm talking in the business side of the art side that's very different like you definitely you're encouraged to use your imagination but it's not the same as when you're a child but i think when you start to think of stuff like design thinking that are business practices that then juvenile imagination starts to come back and starts to flourish in the right context in the right setting in the right scenario um, so business does allow that when it's the right moment, whereas education limits it because it's not, it's, it's hard to grade. If that makes sense, it's hard to grade that kind of a level of imagination that the outcome you can grade, but the, the process and the experience, it's not something they can really help nurture, uh, at least from my experience, I've, I've had a lot of experience in education, but I haven't had all the experience in education. So probably some areas where I could have 
explored. And I'm sure when my kids get to that age, I'm going to have them, you know, explore everything under the sun for education, like anything they want to do. I'll, I'll be able to provide for them, but I want them to really have that experience that, you know, untethered kind of liberation, of like doing anything they want just for the sake of learning. Yeah. And obviously you, you've tried virtual reality, like through us and we've played around with virtual reality a little bit. And I'm curious how you might think VR could bridge that gap of being able to, I don't know, possibly grade the creativity or just have more creativity built into education where there are those barriers. Um, as an example of one that we've had on the podcast um, a few episodes ago, we had a sixth grade uh, teacher on and he was talking about um, teaching about water cycles. And basically the regular lesson is some like slides or videos of, you know, the clouds pick up rain from the lakes and then go over and go into the ground and go into aquifers and the full like water cycle going through. I don't know all of it off the top of my head. Um, but what he did is ha give his students kind of that basic lesson. And then in virtual reality, they created uh, a virtual world to teach that lesson. So he had um, one student where there was a dragon heating up the water. And what did that do to the water cycle? And other students, they were just going through a haunted house. But to get through different doors, you had to answer questions about the water cycle. Um, thought that idea might spark some ideas in your head. But curious, yeah, what you think VR could do on that creativity side of things. Yeah, I think there's there's a few things um, in regards to, you know, like elementary, secondary, post-secondary. I, I think you're basically the magic school bus. Like VR has a chance to be the magic school bus. You can give these people these experiences. Uh, and we've talked about this, about my challenge with VR is using the controllers because I like to actually use my fingers and feel that tactile element of it. And when that part comes in, I'll be much, much bigger of an adopter because of just my, my personal kind of experience with that. I think on the other side though, you know, VR has a great propensity to, to make change with, um, progress in regards to things like, uh, self-reflections or just personal healing. I think we, we talked about it before, but I know that the extra VR helped with a, you know, talking about some of the potential use cases for VR and. I think there was the one that was the therapist that could help people overcoming, you know, big anxieties or life kind of trauma by dealing with it in a, in a VR space. It does become a safe space, but your brain still doesn't distinguish between that and the reality. But I think when you start to think about how VR can create these immersive experiences to help you heal and get through it, that to me is where the real, the real changes will happen. Um, you know, I love, I love the idea of going through, you know, the water cycles and, and the learning and those pieces at, at that, at the fundamental early stage. I, it's so far removed for me because I, I lived on a farm and we basically had, you know, you know, very basic elements of like education tools. And now we're like, we can create anything. It's, it's pretty neat. For sure. For sure. And no, yeah, that's a, a good point of there, there are certain barriers out there that are stopping people from uh, from learning or just in general progressing in life that there are so many tools that will be built out in VR to break down those barriers so that they can be more creative whether that's in their education experience or in the real world um, 
to to kind of switch topics, I wanted to to go back at, at the start. I listed uh, we talked about mentors and my uh, ill advised uh, recommendation about Red Alert, um, but I also mentioned uh, whiskey and paintings, and I know and before mentioned NASA, National Geographic as well. Curious, you, you seem like you're always doing uh, a million different things. You have all these uh, amazing hobbies that you're working on. Why do you do that, I guess? And how does that, or yeah, we'll start there. Why Why do yeah. you like to explore um, so many different hobbies? I I think there's, there's, there's a few pieces. And, and again, this is one of those like happy and sad stories. I apologize because mm-hmm. these, are, these are the kind of questions you're asking. Um, I think growing up when I was nonverbal, I just kind of watched and, and saw the world through, you know, what I would call a rosy retrospective lens. Like things just look better than they were. Um, when I was able to finally interact and engage with it, it was at the cost of losing my memories. So I didn't quite ever understand anything but myself. So I've always been kind of searching for for my thing. Um, and I don't really have it, which I've realized is my thing. It's just doing stuff, like figuring things out. Um, but when I was, you know, after coming out of my my attempt and just trying to like re-piece my life back together, everyone always says rock bottom is the hardest thing to deal with. And I was like, it's not, it really isn't. When when you're where I was, you're basically in a hole in the ground and you have to crawl out of that hole to even get to rock bottom. But once I went through that, everything else was easy. You know, going to like it's stressful, don't get me wrong, and there's frustrations, but it's taking that energy and putting it into something positive. So, you know, going to MIT or going to Harvard, it is tough, but it's it's I learned something and it's fun. And and in, and in essence, it's easy because it's just a a step by step process. Um, you know, creating creating liquor. I don't really drink it much. I just like I love the art of liquor. And when I think about it, like I have some really great bottles in my collection, but I have, you know, this one particular one, it was a 41 year old bottle, which actually I think you had when you came over the other day. Um, But think about the person had to make that bottle. You know, there's no chance they could, they might be my age. They might be 40. And if they spent the last 10 or 15 years making liquor, they might be the person that started making that bottle. But then for the next 40 years, that person has to walk by that barrel, watching it age and grow. It's like every single life condition in my life has been viewed upon that bottle. And, you know, I'm going to do the whole quantum physics side of it or anything or the manifestation side of it. But like there's a good propensity that the types of energies that I bring into that room are going to be influenced into that bottle and that barrel and whatever. I love that. I love the fact that you can buy someone's soul basically like that was their love, their passion. Like they're not they're probably not around anymore. And they made this beautiful piece of something to share with people. And and that's what I love doing. I just love trying new things and figuring out. And one day I'll figure out what my thing is and I have like a skill for it. Like I've I, I'm I like doing things and I think I'm pretty good at it, but it's not it's not that be all and all. It doesn't like stop and take my breath away. You know, like there's a few things that take my breath away. My wife being the most important of them. But then like Good answer. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And she's watching this video. It's because I love it. But I think the other side of it is, you know, when I see a, a car design and you know a car is designed through love or through corporate means. And it, I, I can't I can't explain it more than just 
you know there's a certain electricity to it um you know my wife was was kind enough to get me a car for my 40th birthday and i could feel the electricity on it just just knowing the way that that car was designed knowing what was done to it to make it like that that beautiful ratio of design um I mean, we've, we've since sold it because I don't think having a two-seater car and having two children on the age of two is a smart thing for anybody. Um, but I, I, I'll never forget that feeling. I'll never forget the feeling the first day I went to go drive it home. And it was just, you know, it was, it was, it was love at first sight. Like it, you just, and it's less about the car, more about the experience in that sense. But you start to understand those things. And that's why I do these things because somewhere along that journey, I feel that sense of passion. And then it keeps me going. And then, you know, I kind of come and go in waves of things and then I get back to it and um, it's just always tinkering, always doing something. But I think a lot of it is because of like my autism brain that doesn't want to turn off, but also this, this need to do more. Uh, you know, whenever, whenever I'm upset, the first thing I do is donate money to a charity. It's just some, someone out there has harder time than I do in life. So I just need to make sure that I remember that because I was that person and no one was there to help me at that time. So I'm now that person that gets to help everybody else. And with all my creativity and all my things, it's just trying to find a sense of belonging. Yeah. I love it. And that kind of leads into to my next question. And I don't know how much you've shared this, so we can cut this out if, uh, if it isn't something you necessarily want to talk about. But yeah. I know with, with making whiskey and exploring that hobby and that, that as well exploring painting you created painting with bourbon um and curious with that i know you had discussed how you want to um later make donations to to your local college and have that as like kind of part of your your mission there and what you're doing and curious how that kind of came about from exploring those two hobbies to building out kind of a business around it to a degree and then having that donation component uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Great, great question. So, so paintingsinbourbon.com was basically started from me making paintings for my wife, but because I spent so much time making these paintings, I didn't finish the renovations for my basement uh, in time of starting Deloitte. And then I had to hide, I had to, I had nowhere else to put them, but behind me, there used to be kind of a, um, a, a desk here behind me, like a, a filing cabinet. So I put the paintings up above there and people loved them. So I started selling them. Uh, through that process and I thought well if I can donate the money somewhere and I wanted to start a college fund so the goal is to reach a certain amount in that college fund before I start donating it to the local college and then I would love to name it after my dad my stepdad who passed away and my wife's uh, dad who passed away just as a a way to commemorate them my wife and I both went to Mohawk College um, when I started our career she just went to Mohawk College and has been an absolute killer in the industry of like software engineering like I have gone like to school six times over and I'm basically on par with my wife. Like that's how good of a people person she is. And I'm not a very good people person. Um, so let that be a lesson, everybody, you know, nepotism makes the world work. Be friends with people. That's the way you get ahead um, and be nice. But yeah, that's, that's something that I, I want to do in the future. What I've been doing since before I get to that point, I, I still donate every year. I donate to, you know, autism speaks. Um, I help sit on the Ontario and Charlie foundation to help get funding for, nonprofits all across the city of Hamilton. Like it's a, it's a pure joy to help organizations exist, you know? So yeah, I would love to have a, a college fund one day. Um, 
that just helps people in need. And with business partners, I've actually talked about that and we've found or thought of ways to evolve that, which is a little bit more people specific and less about the funding. So we're going to figure out what that all might look like, but know that there's still donations that happen. It still goes out to people and we're going to get people into schools one day. It's just how we're going to do it. It might be a little bit of a better experience for, for those people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that not only me, but friends of mine, I don't think, I don't think you succeed on your own. And I don't think standing on top of a mountain is what people want. You want to be there with people that you can appreciate and, and enjoy. And that's why now when I do business, I have business partners and colleagues and I, I only do things with other people. I don't want to do things by myself anymore. And when I do things with myself, I pay people handsomely to, to do work with me so that you know, they see that, they see and feel that appreciation. And then I get them gifts at the end because, you know, everyone loves gifts. They have to choose between like three cards. So that's the fun part. A couple of things I want to dive into there, but to... <laughs> I ramble, I apologize. It's... No, 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 it's great. It's great. Um, I guess the one that I was first interested in, uh, and I know you're still kind of like flushing it out, but curious how you're planning or what ideas you have around how to do those donations differently because i know going through school myself all of the different grants and funding that were available for students it was kind of like you just go onto this portal you fill out one little form and then there's all these different pieces of funding that you could get and it it didn't feel very personal to me like some writing the thank you letter that was more personal but actually getting it was yeah right just so couple things right now you know what we do is we we instead of donating to the college um, we actually donate it to local charities and with the intention of you know when we donate it we're like you know i'd reach out to somebody saying i want to donate some money looking to donate for this particular purpose um, this is the reason why we're donating to you as opposed to anybody else uh, please let me know if there's any questions you know very very simple side of it um i think the future state obviously is going to be having a either a scholarship fund that gets funded every year. So the reason we want to save up a certain amount is we can donate a certain amount. And then every year for the next five or 10 years, we can, we can donate that initial, that additional amount as well. I don't want to start something and say, here's $10,000 for the first year, but I can't give anything else next year. It's like, mm, not my style. But the other side of it is thinking about well, what if we found a person you know, from our local town that needed help that just has the potential, but not the means to kind of get ahead. And, you know, I was a, I was a, like three, three boys with a single mom working two or three jobs just to try to get into me, you know, in all reality, like I'm not the kind of guy that gets into a school like Harvard. It's, that's just not, they're, they're, the money's not there. We don't have, we don't have the means, you know, my mom was lucky to find a second person she fell in love with in her life. And He's the one, but even then he was just sending me around to do stuff. He couldn't afford it. It was just because of my hard work and aptitude um, that I was able to do it, but putting me in the right positions to get those things happening. Offering a helping hand to somebody at that point in their in their career. You know, I have friends of mine who have kids that are starting to go to university now. So it's just, you know, listening to their stories, listening to their challenges, listening to their struggles. Like if there's something that we can do to help, we'll help that way. And I think that's more personal, that's more genuine. But imagine if you were a kid who someone came up to you and it's like, I'm going to pay for you to get into Harvard. It's like, oh, I can't get into Harvard. Let me help you with that. Let me guide you, mentor you. Like, just what, what do I, why do I have to give you? Nothing. Just wanted to help you. Like I need help at a point And I'm now at the point where I can help somebody 
and my friend can help somebody and we're, we want to help you. Why? Because we know your, your mom, your dad, your cousin, your whatever. And, you know, they've expressed concern that they, they want to make sure that you have a better life than, than they did and better life than we had. So yeah, if we can help, why the heck not? Like it has no, there's no personal me, it has no personal benefit. And I, I think that's the whole point. Like, you know, selfless acts are selfless acts. For sure. No, I love that, that way of looking at it where it's, yeah, it's not just uh, donated to the university or college and then distributed however they see fit. So, like, I think that's a, a very intentional way to go about it. And I think a lot of people that get to the point in their life where they can make those donations, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just doing it for the personal benefit to a degree where they're just giving some money and then it's something yeah, that, that, that that's a that's a tax write off when you do the donation to the school and that's that's kind <laughs> right. of the reason I'm like not so I'm like it benefits me 100% but it's it doesn't have the intention that I want um so sure. yeah and you can and, still and, work yeah. with the school and how that's yeah okay. yeah when when we get to that point we know like that's still being built up so when we get to that point we get to that point and that's a good thing and those for all the right reasons. But I think that's, again, a different stage of my life. Like that's two, three, maybe four levels away from where I'm at right now in my life. And when I get to that point, that's where my wife and I have to make some, you know, hard decisions of, you know, what's, what does our future look like in that capacity? You know, where we're, I think we're simple people. I don't think anybody who sees us thinks we're simple people. <laughs> but I don't think they understand what's, you know, behind closed doors. Like it's, it's just, a lot of different things. We need to figure out that part when we get to that stage of helping others. I think there's there's a certain perception that happens when you decide to help others. And I think we have to be willing to accept how our world changes when that happens. Does that make sense? To a degree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And obviously in in that scenario, like money and the mentorship is like what people are going to need but you you mentioned that uh in when you're working with people and i've experienced this you like to give a, a gift and kind of give three options and so yeah. i'm sure in that scenario it's kind of like here's the money and here's the mentorship because that's what you need but why in other scenarios do you like to do the, the three options because people will remember the money people will remember what you did for them and i think you know um great example i was working with the art gallery um over the last couple of years love the art gallery love art because i i didn't i wasn't i wasn't introduced to art until i was 16 it was the weirdest thing and i went to a gallery in france and i honestly thought that art only lived in france not anywhere else in the world because i never i never was allowed to take art growing up so i didn't know that it existed um but i was working on this project for helping people with dementia with with the art world and how you can recollect memories through art and i just fell in love with the project like my grandma had dementia at the end of it, you know, I had a, I had a really great team, really great team, and one of the team members, um, I gave them three different cards. And if he's watching this video, he doesn't know what was in the other cards. But one was a PlayStation with the video, PlayStation Five with a video game. One was just a PlayStation Five, and the other one was all of the bottles of the Star Trek wine series. But then I'd have to find a way of illegally bringing them into the country because they're only sold in the states. <laughs> he, he got the PlayStation with video game, which was great. Cause that's what he wanted, but I really wanted him to get the Star Trek one. So Matt, if you're, if you're listening to this, unfortunately there was a, there's a whole bunch of bottles of Star Trek wine that you're not going to have for me at least. 
Um, and the idea was that these were things that he said in conversation that he wanted, but he was doing a renovation to his basement. So he didn't want to go spend money on these things. And I was like, well, heck, why don't I just buy it for you? You know, like, and, and obviously two of the three were the PlayStation because I really wanted him to get that. Um, but he had to choose the card and you know that and then the other team member had three different gifts as well um i think i have a project i'm finishing in september and i'm flying out to bc to meet with my team and i can't even say what i want that to be in case they're going to watch this video but there's a really cool gift that i have planned for one of them and if they pick that card it would be super fun um but yeah and and why do you do that as a a blind pick of the the card instead of kind of being like here are the three options that i mean that's that's the random reward side of things like that's very gamification that's very super mario Mm -hmm. free you know like you you pick something you don't know what it's going to be and i think people appreciate it because there's a sense of chance and a sense of like anticipation and excitement so you're always wondering what else was behind there but depending on what you choose you're still like, oh, this is amazing. And it's something that people talk about. I think when I was working with you guys, I got you guys thank you gifts at the end of the project. And I think yours was some superhero trading cards and your partner, Drew, loved the Simpson game. So I found a copy of the Simpson game. Like I had to actually get somebody to go show up at that person's house and buy it from them because I wasn't able to make it that time. And I was like, I had to go. And then I had to go meet up with them afterwards because it was just that the logistics weren't working for me. And I was like, you need to buy this right now for me. It's like, why? I need it right now. My cousin was like, yep, when you tell me something and you're that adamant about it, I am not saying no. I'm like, okay, cool. He's like, what's this for? I'm like, oh, this is the reading. He's like, that was what's so important. I'm like, it was. I don't want people to buy it. Like, it was going to get sold in a heartbeat. I was like, no, I had to be the first person to get it. And I was tracking it for months, by the way. Like, this was like well into the project. I was already tracking this thing to try to find it. I couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's fun because it's a bit of a treasure hunt for me for finding like the right kind of gift, but it's also a great sense of, you know, camaraderie and, and genuine rapport. And I think people appreciate that more than just, you know, a paycheck sometimes. I think when we do for sure, a lot of organizations will do a great job with, you know, giving incentives and giving money and giving gift cards. And that's, that's it. That is, it is really nice, but it's not what people are, wanting to feel important like you know if you just put a little more effort into things it goes a long way uh, and I'm, I'm the kind of guy that puts in that little bit more effort in everything that i do everything that i do uh because i i shouldn't be here so everything i do can in essence change the world because i'm just like one extra piece on a chessboard so i i take that into every single piece that i do in my life like hanging out with my kids making dinner you know whatever like i just want to put in that extra effort because i appreciate every single second that i have to this day i'm very appreciative of all of it so i want to make sure i make the most of it with everything um which probably explains a lot of the other stuff why i do the other things because it's just i'm all in all the time um but if you don't get that for me from now for knowing for how many years i feel like you just haven't been paying attention (laughs) (laughs) no i've definitely got that um Talking about putting in the extra effort and uh, in everything you do, um, I know there's some bad to this story, but uh, to stick to the good side, you you opened a bar and you had a, a drink with a battery in it. And I always love this story. So if you could kind of explain that to everyone and the extra effort into having a bar there with a drink with a battery in it. Yeah, when 
when your wife says, I don't think you should open the bar with these people, but I think you should do it anyways, do yourself a favor and be like, you know what? I agree. We shouldn't open the bar. <laughs> um, but no, they, the, the, yeah. So that was the, um, the electric Kool-Aid. It was so two parts of it. It was actually a behavioral science experiment that I wanted to run. Cause I, I, I owned a bar and I was a mixologist to an extent. So I was like, well, I can do anything I want because <laughs> I own the bar. Uh, I decided to run a competition with the staff, teaching them how to sell a certain cocktail to customers. And I gave everybody a particular type of bias to work with or a particular process on how to sell this cocktail to people. And then they had to track it on a notepad on how well and how effective it was. And we ran it for the course of a weekend. And then we ran it again a second week as well. But it was a, it was a nine volt battery with a guava whiskey blend but then i did little sugar packets but i put them in like a little plastic baggie with the paper clip this was a particular style of bar that wasn't my choice of theme but it just made it funny people were like why does this look like it's a bag of drugs on the side of a glass it's like it's just sugar you're like why but the idea was that there was this whole process of how you drank this drink in different ways so it actually gave four different flavors depending on the order in which you drank everything so this really unique experience, but the selling of it was the actual behavioral science part that I was actually researching. And the cocktail was just something really fun. And when people saw it, it just became kind of a, kind of a hit. It was funny because I actually made um, what I called the boozy sangria. It was um, white wine, cider, apple vodka. That's it. I don't even think, I don't even think there was, I don't even think there's ginger ale in that one. I make it with ginger ale at my house now, but I think it sold everything two to one. Like for every, for we would sell two, like we'd sell twice as many as that than any, anything else collectively in the entire restaurant. It was the best drink that has ever been sold. I feel like it was, people <laughs> loved it. It was just pure booze and it was delicious. Um, the, the, the guava one was good, but it, it wasn't as popular as the, the boozy sangria. So yeah. And little, little life lessons. <laughs> And I guess, could you, could you dive deeper into, um, at least one of the four ways of how to, how to drink the drink with the battery or just explain how yeah, the battery was involved? Yeah. Yeah. So you would, you would take a sip from the drink. So you'd stir it, you take a sip and you'd feel what the drink would taste like. And then you would put the battery on your tongue to shock your tongue. And then you would drink the drink again. And when, because your tongue would have this like numbness from the battery, it would actually, it was a nine volt battery, but the way that you would do it you would actually have a different flavoring and then you would put sugar on your tongue, drink it again, then shock your tongue, put sugar on your tongue, drink it again. So there's four different ways of doing it um, because the shocking is what actually creates a different sensation in, in the, in the flavor palettes of your mouth. And what made you come up with that idea? Were you playing with a nine volt battery and <laughs> accidentally touch it to your tongue and then tasting something and you're like oh that tastes different yeah but that will eat. <laughs> um i i genuinely don't know sometimes things just come to me it was just like what was a what was a fun ridiculous thing to do that had a low cost point to like actually make so i think the cost the drink itself cost less than like three dollars to make including the battery the battery was like you know i think i think what happened was i was searching for stuff online and i found like a bulk purchase of batteries and i was like i'm just gonna buy these i'll figure out what to do with them after and then i just kind of started thinking about what i can do with batteries i mean it was that was what came of it yeah interesting it's 
I know those uh, late night and bulk purchases uh, all too well. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I buy some ridiculous things online. This run is university. I bought a lot of ridiculous things. So it was just, yeah, that was just a fun, fun little mishap that turned into like a really fun project for me. Love it. Talking about fun projects, uh, another uh, organization that we mentioned was was NASA, and I think this is just such a great story that people would love. Uh, what did you do with NASA? I guess <laughs> I'll leave it there. Yeah. So, um, a friend of mine used to be a an astrophysicist, and I wanted to help locate stars in the universe for for a gift for my wife. So, working with them, kind of being laughed out of room, convincing them I was being serious, understanding the process of how you actually name stars, which is not through NASA but through a different organization, getting help with them to get in touch with that organization, validate those pieces then get it sanctioned as an asterism afterwards. And then basically having it come together after 18 months of kind of due diligence uh, and then getting it ready right before my, my wedding to my, give it as a gift to my wife. So it was, and the stars wasn't actually the gift. So I don't think people realize this, even at the PowerPoint presentation I had at my wedding. Um, my wife actually asked me after the wedding, like, what was the real gift? And I was like, it's been 18 months fighting stars in the universe. You don't think that was the gift? She's like, no, that doesn't seem big enough. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> so the first star we found, which was called Achilles, and I called it our, our first son as she went. Uh, and the intention was the day that I want, I realized I wanted to marry my wife was about six months into our relationship. Um, I realized that this is the person I'm going to marry. So I kept on saying, you know, I want Achilles to be our first son to her. Um, and she always thought that I meant an actual child named Achilles. So she's like, that's a terrible name. That's a stupid name. But at the at the wedding, the entire day of the wedding, I had people giving my wife different cards with different clues and different symbols that would actually connect together to make the actual two star called Evermore trees. Two stars or two trees in the northern hemisphere between Drake, um, Draco's Hercules. But um, right before we got married, the priest actually gave me a card and I put it into my pocket right in front of everybody. But if people weren't paying attention, they didn't quite notice. And then at the presentation, I said to my wife, it's like, you know, here's all the names of all the different stars that were named after her family. But the one star, that's the one that connects both trees together, which is her and I, you know, she already knows what this is because she's 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 heard this in front of her the entire time that we've, like, since I realized I wanted to marry her. And my wife's like, what the hell are you talking about? So when I say the name, her jaw just dropped. And what happened was all the times that I said those things to her just hit her, like, in one combined thought. And I explained to her that I, I said that these words to her in different conscious contexts over the 18 months we were dating um, because when she heard it that one time, it then made her realize like all those thoughts at once. And that's exactly how I feel being autistic with information. Like it's just, there's a constant bombardment of idea and thought. And I can't, I can't explain it to somebody. You have to feel it. So for about three seconds, my wife knew exactly what it was like to feel like being me. And I spent years doing it <laughs> to like make her feel that that experience. Uh, and then after she's like, that's the universe's best gift. I'm like, and pun. And she's like, you just ruined it. <laughs> uh, but she was crying and it was like, it was just, yeah. So when I say my wife is like the most important person in the world to me, like she's the closest person I'll ever know because she knows exactly what it's like to feel to be me. And it was only for a few brief seconds, but that's enough to last me a lifetime. So yeah, that, that was the natural. That is 
amazing and yeah that is the best gift in the universe it's incredible the amount of work that went behind it and the the meaning that uh i think it's cool when there's a meaning like that that's obviously you're sharing it right now and i'm sure you've shared it with others but kind of like a yeah. secret meaning behind the eye the actual gift and, yeah like uh, that and i love that my wife but also my wife being my wife knew that there was more to it than just a really big over over elaborate gift and friends of mine are like you know my girlfriend's pissed at me why because i can't be like you i'm like you could try <laughs> like no that's that's too much math i was like it is a lot of math but um i didn't do a lot of it like a lot of the work was done by nasa uh i just paid for some of the work and validated some of the work and then paid for more of the work <laughs> just just a bit of a process right right no, but I know I've made that comment before of uh, not being able to live up to, to the standards that you set. So, so I, I feel that standards. for anyone it's just, listening. <laughs> it's not, I don't have standards. It's just, it's just who I am. Like it's my love. It's my kind of existence. Like I just do things because yes. I generally think they'll be fun. I don't think there's any, I don't, I don't really think of the consequence of things sometimes. I just do it. Um, which is frustrating for my wife, I'm sure. So if you're listening to this, Natty, I, I realize I'm a handful sometimes. <laughs> well, we'll send that one clip to her in case yeah, she yeah, yeah. gets that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about being autistic and growing up with autism, I'm curious as much as you want to dive into it. Um, what would you say is like the difference or growing up with autism in the education system that there is today and what do you think should change um in coming years i know that's a very big question but go at it at any angle you want to i mean i don't i don't think i'm qualified to say what should change okay. um, because you know if you meet one person with autism you've met one person with autism you haven't met everybody right. with autism and and you know one of my closest friends also on the spectrum but has like the complete opposite knowledge and personality traits that I do. And that's why we're such good <laughs> friends because like together we're like, we're just like, we, we could, we, we combine to build, build a bigger lion. Basically. We're basically part, two parts of Voltron. We can find three other people like us. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> I think when, when you look at the education system for someone like me, um, it was less about the education system, more about, the corporate world people don't know what to think or don't know how to react and that is a very polarizing thing and i understand my my station in life is you either love me or you hate me i'm not that middle ground kind of person my, my wife lives in the middle ground like she's an incredibly intelligent person but she knows how to control the room i don't read i don't pick up on those cues uh, as well especially when i'm like frustrated or stimming so i think to change that as far as a corporate culture would be to, and I think they're doing a great job towards it in a lot of ways, but I think it's, it's always a frustration. It's always a challenge and rightfully so. I think the education sector is, is equal in that frustration because they don't have as many people to help as you would like. And I think it's, it's hard to single out a person because they might be special. And I say special in the sense of, you know, they might have a potential you don't see yet. And there's, there's something that great, like I was offered, I found out later in life that I was offered to go into university when I was in like grade four, grade five. And it was like completely shut down, sh shut down for my family. Understanding my mom, and my dad were going through a very difficult time and things. But as an adult now, as a parent now, I realize that, you know, 
you think your parents know everything. And I realized now at this age, how much I know and how much I don't know. And I was like, wow, my parents probably didn't know anything. I just, they just seem like it. And, and I think that the education system has to be the one that picks up that slack sometimes and they can't. Um, so it's a perpetual system. You know, the system fails you, the education fails you, the corporate world fails you, you know, HR fails you, your parents do the best they can, but it's not enough either. And at a certain point, everyone just needs to cut themselves a little bit of slack, but also like find a way to help solve that problem. And like I said, I'm not qualified to, to give a solution to that. Um, not at this point, I know what I would, what I would love to do, but again, it's the question of what's feasible and what's not. And I think right now, a lot of things just aren't necessarily feasible. It's better. It's better than it's ever been, but I don't think that's still good enough. Right. And I guess looking at that, like I always, when I'm thinking of like a new problem inside expert VR, I I try to look at like, what is that? non-feasible um option that we would love to have and then kind of work back from there so if you don't mind sharing like what is that like non-feasible thing that you would like to see at least for 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 yourself if you were back in your shoes um in the education system trying to figure out how to say it properly um I, you know, I had a, I had a speech pathologist growing up and, and when I, when they thought that I might be gifted, they maybe write a test and they thought I cheated. So I had to write the test again. But the second time this speech pathologist had to watch me write this test. And it was, it, it's still one of the saddest moments of my life. Actually, uh, this person had to sit down and watch me go through this very difficult thing, not being able to help me knowing that's the wrong thing and couldn't do anything about it. But then when the, when the grade came back, she sat me down and explained to me what it meant. And I think that simple act of kindness, if that moment could be stretched out for everybody, that would be the solution because it's been one of the things that I still remember to this day that keeps me going, knowing that I'm not stupid. Um, and there's not a lot in my life that makes me feel like, like there's not a lot in my life that makes me feel like I'm smart, but that was one of the moments where I did feel like I was like a smart person, uh, or like prideful of like the things that I've done or accomplished. Um, yeah. Like I think no one, no one could take that away from you. I think having those moments for people, finding a way to deliver that from people that need to see it or hear it at that, like as much as they can, that reaffirmation, that is what needs to happen for not just, you know, neurodiversity, um, but for everybody, I think, you know, like I said before, my mom did the best she absolutely could with what she had. And she was a fighter, but with everything that she did, we shouldn't have been, as successful as we are it it was because of her perseverance that made us unstoppable and it's it's like if everybody has an opportunity to have someone like that in their life to to be a a role model you know i had commanding officers when military school i had my stepdad like having those types of mentors heck maybe just having mentors early in your like starting from kindergarten like seriously just give me a mentor in kindergarten and watch me be like a ceo by the time i'm 12 um i think that like those, those little pieces that could 
that could be the thing that tips it over. And I think there's a lot of, again, you know, Big Brothers is a great organization and Big Sisters is a great organization that does these types of things. Um, you know, there's a lot of like um, personal care workers that are in school, like one of our godmoms, like she helps with kids on the spectrum and with like learning disabilities or challenges all the time. You know, like she talks about the, the challenges of, of the education system, but you know, she's doing something to try to help, but it's just, it's never enough. So how do you make it enough? And that's the thing where, you know, sometimes the profit, profit and greed are two different things. And I don't think people realize that, that sometimes greed takes over. And if we can make it back to a sense of profit and what happens after that, you'd start giving it back to make people better. You could, you could find the next Tesla, you could find the next Einstein, you can find the next Picasso, you know, just by looking a little harder. Um, but we don't have time and that's, I, I, man, I, I have two kids and three jobs. Like I got no time for anything. <laughs> so I, I, I got that, but yeah, that's, that's what I think of when you ask that question. So to, to summarize, having those mentors early on or having the resources at a school so that there's more of like that personalized understanding and connection with each individual student. Yeah. Like. I think kids want the, it's not about praising the achievement. It's about praising the process, the praising the effort. And I think when, when that starts to become the norm, there's, and there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, research behind that, that um, supporting the effort more than supporting the achievement is what creates better progress in people. So starting that off at a younger age, giving them some sort of guidance, giving some, giving somebody who, who gives a damn, uh, is, is really the thing. Love it. And that leads into, I'm curious to share a, an idea that one of our past guests had, um, Michael Avis was on our podcast. He used to work at George Brown college. Now he runs tap Vigo, which is like a consulting company for virtual reality, um, mm -hmm. related technologies and having him on the podcast one of the ideas that he kind of talked about um, that he would be interested to see down the road would be basically if everybody was in a VR space for their education or I guess even augmented reality, um, having like an avatar that has some sort of AI behind it that kind of grows up with you. So when you go into kindergarten or grade one, you get this avatar, I guess, with augmented reality, you see them on your watch or you see them walking around beside you. And they're kind of learning the subjects that you're learning as you're learning them. And somebody that can be kind of that partial mentor, but also partial friend in a way. Um, curious how that like lands with you at all, how you would change that idea, or if you see AI or VR being able to help um, create that more personalized uh, solution. Hey, I do, I do, I do see great potential in that. What, what I, what I see when you hear that is, is two things, a sense of isolation and a sense of unfair competition. Um, so you're creating an AI that can calculate anything in a split second. And I'm supposed to be friends with this thing. It's always going to be smarter than me. It's always going to be better than me. It's always going to be faster than me. And it can travel at light speeds. I'm going to envy this thing. For the rest of my life i'm not going to be friends with it i'm going to be jealous of it i think mm -hmm. that that sense of jealousy even if it's like well it's, it's supposed to be your friend it's like okay but i know it's better than me in every sense of the word like it's a perfect version that i can never aspire to be 
And for some people, that's going to that's gonna inspire them, motivate them their entire lives, which is great. Other people, it's going to cause, you know, catastrophic psychological ramifications. Um, I That's how I see it. Um, but I grew up with a big brother, so I mean... I, <laughs> I see that too. Like I, I can, I can never be as good as my big brother, no matter what I do. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, to make that a better experience, I don't think it should be so much of an avatar as, uh, as a, as an aid. Um, and I'll, I'll use like the RPG methodology, but you know, when you're playing an RPG and you don't, when you're, when you're playing a solo game, you don't want an additional character on the board that you then either have to control, they go off and do their own thing because you don't really know what that is. But having some sort of like floating companion that supports you with like a shield or an extra blast or extra health or whatever that whatever that characteristic or attribute is, they're an there R2 to D2 support you. that can press yeah. a button. There, yeah, 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 yeah. But like a cool R two D two because he was basically just like a glorified garbage can. Like no offense, R two, <laughs> but come on. Um, at least C three PO is like clad in gold, like gangster. <laughs> But no, like something, but some sort of avatar that can evolve as well. Like all the things you're talking about, but make it, make it limited, make it supportive, make it assistive, you know, an assisted devices program, for example, where it, it helps people, you know, I have, I have also diabetic and I have diabetic retinopathy. So like, I'm eventually going to go blind again in my eye. Like this past week it happened and I've been like so scared about my eyes. It's like, if I had some sort of assisted device that I can just get help with on things, you know, personal assistant that kind of connects to all my things and connects to like my email accounts. And it's just generally there to support me. Yeah. Like I'll talk to it. It's almost like a glorified Siri at that point. And you saw people like love was love of Siri was over the years. Like, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a certain sensation with it. So that's where I think it could go. And that avatar then becomes fun because it's a, it's developed based on your creativity at that time so it could be like a small little butterfly and then they become like a spiky little thing when you're like you know your angsty years and it's just like <laughs> you know it could be i don't even know but like i i know how i i know how it evolved for me over the years you know um but there's there's definitely a, a good opportunity for that and i think it's i think it's a great idea i think we just need to be very conscious of what i always like looking at what could go wrong and start thinking from that solution point. You know, this is a great idea. Great. What are some things that can go wrong? Well, X, Y, and Z. Okay. Well, how do we ensure that those things don't happen? Okay. Let's, let's trim that back. Let's add that in. Let's add that in. What does the solution look like now? Okay. Well, this is what it looks like now. Well, what are some of the things that can go wrong with this? It's like, and you can see where that solutioning state comes into play. But what you're trying to do is circumvent some of the catastrophic things. Because when we think of changing the world, everyone thinks in the most positive ways, but the corporations will think what's the most profitable way. So there has to be a, a median between the two as well. Right. Right. No, I love that way of thinking of updates. And I, I had similar thoughts around, uh, yeah, the AI just being all knowledgeable and being able to answer any question. And I, I didn't really think about the competition factor and what that would do to somebody, but yeah, no, very, very interesting. And I, I like that idea of being an R2 or a, <laughs> better r2 um, assistant (laughs) yeah (laughs) love it love it um to to take one step back um in the last question you you mentioned picasso and i had picasso down because um at expert vr you've been working with us so long we think of you as as one of the team even if you're not working with us full time 
And so we, we have you on our, our website and you filled out your, your profile. And one of the questions that we have for everyone is, who is your favorite researcher? And you put down Picasso. And I, I'm curious, why did you put down Picasso? Yeah, so the, there, there, yeah, there, there, there's two reasons. Um, so Picasso goes on with a quote of, the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away. I mean, that's just the idea of it, it like existential experimentation. Um, but there's a book that I read and I don't want to misquote the title, but it was a book about Einstein and Picasso and how they lived a very similar life at a similar time. Yet Einstein was the smartest man in the world or yes, Einstein, he'd be like, ask Nikola Tesla. And Picasso was an artist who just lived in the slums, but they're both like during the theory of relativity for Einstein, Picasso was creating cube or cubism. So the idea of looking at things from multiple perspectives and this idea of experimentation and finding something and building on it, and evolving it, like that's just research. That's just development. That's just creativity. It's the personification of what, you know, science is all about, but he was, he was basically showing us the universe in visual form and we were never clever enough to see it. Um, and, and that's why I say, you know, Picasso, he knew what he knew and that was to just give everything away that he had. And, and there's a, there's a sense of beauty when you're, you know, so untethered to the rest of the world. Like your, your view of, your view of reality is, is so far removed because your experience with reality is so far removed. Um, and how can you not admire something like that? You know, there's a, there's a passion that if I ever had, it'd be like, it'd be, it'd be amazing. Uh, I get it, but it kind of comes and goes in waves and I don't have that. I don't have that, that yet. So you're working towards that. fighting. Yeah. yeah. But, but that, but that's the thing. Like, I think my gift is exploration and I give it away. Like I give everything that I have away to help others like find their sense of belonging or um, ownership or, or pride or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I think people are possible remarkable things, but they have to understand the challenges that come with it. And I don't think, I don't think you succeed without challenge. I don't think you, I don't think you win without failure. I don't think you learn without failure. I think failure is part is part for the course. If you look at Picasso, he had one of the hardest lives ever, but you know, getting a piece of his now, how much would it be worth? It's like his, his fortunes came after his death, mm. um, but generations and generations will remember him for it. For sure. I'd, I'd like to be something like that one day. <laughs> I think that's a good goal to aim for. <laughs> um, talking about Picasso's life and we've been, chatting about all the different hobbies that you have, all the projects you work on at work and uh, through your education. I, I was kind of just curious to talk about how you relate life in general to, to time, because I, I find that the older I get, and I, I know I'm <laughs> quite, quite young. You, you always say that Drew and I are very young at what we're doing. Like I just see time speeding up faster and faster. And I can't imagine what that would be like having two kids and yeah, just any thoughts on the relation between time and life? Yeah, no, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so there's a, there's a few things. I think, you know, there's, I, it's not that I don't think time exists, 
but I think our understanding of time is is skewed. And, and as we get older, time seems to move faster. I think that's just because we're so busy. And I think the world of mass consumption has has accelerated that simultaneously. But when I'm when I'm in the zone, um, my wife literally says that I can slow down time because the amount that I can get done in a very finite window shocks her shocks me even like sometimes i'll come out and i'll be like how did i do all this it's like nine o'clock in the morning and i've done 17 things it's like how is that even possible um but i think those sparks and moments get me to feel really great the challenge is that i've then done that how do i get back to that state because then there's so many other things on my plate that i keep i keep having to do i'm always so busy um and I think, I think we talked about it before, but there's a thing called the happiness curve and people around the age of 40 to 42 kind of feel this low in their life. Irrevocable of, you know, I have wonderful friends, yourself included, you know, amazing family, a three-nature who's a little bit of an attitude problem right now, but I love her, good bits, um, you know, financially good, business-wise good, like all things great, but I still feel low. So I push myself to get through it. So that acceleration of time actually adds to my benefit right now. But I'm always so busy because I don't have to confront this this low. And it's not that anything's wrong. It's not that at all. It's just it's it's a general feeling you get. And as I get closer to 50, you know, the research shows that it gets better and better. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, then I'll, that's when I'll start slowing down. That's when I'll start enjoying my time. But then it's like, well, what do I do now to enjoy myself? You know, you can only buy so many materialistic things or go on so many vacations before you're like, I'm just kind of bored. So I, I think of all the things that bring me a sense of joy in the moment and try to linger in that moment a little bit longer each time. That makes sense. Because I just, yeah, time speeds up because you get busier. That's just what it is. It just, it, the impression of it, time is still the same linear process. It's just you're stretched so thin. The further you're stretched, the more you're stressed. You know, things just move at a different at different pace. But if you get lost in the moment, the time just disappears. And you'll lose track of time, but you'll lose it for the right reasons. And I think that's where I strive to get to. Um, I'm not there yet. Some moments I'm there. Like yesterday, I was carrying my my uh, son around. My, my, my wife went out for dinner. And I was just like carrying him around, just like, you know, playing with them and just making fun, fun sounds and stuff. And I'd walk by the, the little clock on the stove and it was like 20 minutes past. It was like 20 minutes. I thought I just walked around the, like our little kitchen in, in a circle once. It was just like, and then I go, I go play in like the other room and come back and it's like, like an hour's passed by. I'm like, what just happened? And I was just, just completely no phone on me, no nothing, just lost and like holding my kid and having just a fun time, you know, teaching him how to bounce like his little bouncy chair and stuff and just that was it and it, it was just exactly what i needed at the time like i wasn't productive but you don't need to be productive all the time you need to you need to have downtime and that was the perfect amount and then i brought my daughter to sleep and then we fell asleep on the on the bed together it was actually super cute and this morning when i went to wake her up she was like kicking me and slapping me and she's like believe i'm like <laughs> what hey <laughs> that's but that's again that's that's life but those those are the things that yeah. you, you're gonna remember more than anything you know, um, for sure. So yeah. That's all time is just, it's a 
bunch of anecdotal moments. <laughs> and just be intentional in those moments, whether you're you're working exactly. and enjoying that work and flowing through it, or if you're spending time with your kids. Yeah. 100%. That's exactly it. And I guess talking about the work side, I, I meant to start reading your second book before, or not reading, but started going through your second book before this, but I've already packed it into a box so that it's ready to go onto the bus. And obviously I'm not on the bus uh, just yet, so I haven't been able to crack it open, but I'm curious on thinking about time and life on the work side of things, what systems would you put into place or do you put into place uh, to be product? productivity to be productive and uh be in the kind of that flow um so when you talk about the second book are you talking about the organizer or like the actual yes. second book that just published like yesterday oh i have not heard about okay. the second book that you just published okay. yesterday we'll have to dive into that as well. yeah so so the organizer so yeah the organizers i use i use them a lot i actually just finished my first nine week stint of, of the level one program so i've gotten the score that i want so i can now get my new tattoo um I don't count that as a book. And the reason I don't is because I love to manifest things. And I always said to the universe that my third book will be a children's book. And I don't want universal bad juju because if you count that one as a second book, then my current book is actually my third book. And I don't want the universe to get angry with me. So I don't right. classify an organizer as a book. Nor does Amazon. <laughs> an organizer. Thank okay. Yeah. It's an organizer. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. No, um, I, I've gone through using a bunch of different organizers. Um, I didn't like the ones that I was using. So I just built my own. And then I'll be building different versions of it. Like, so like five levels so that I'm not just using one style of organizer. I use it for about two months and that's the kind of time that I start to drop off. So this book I made for two months, give myself a goal at the beginning, give myself, you know, a grading every week. And then I count the goal at the end and see how well I do. Um, you know, a lot of lessons learned from that. So I'll make it better. I'll improve on it. But each book will focus on a different attribute that I want to help improve in my life. Um, you know, clarity of thought, self-reflection, just daily tasks, scheduling, organizing, lessons learned, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it it works really well. It makes me it, it makes it clear of like th certain things that I'm seeing or missing, and I go back and I review them. And then at the end of the week, I give myself kind of notes of all of it. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of been the that's kind of been my whole thing, my whole shtick. And is that kind of your main productivity tool of just kind of having that the overarching things that you're aiming towards and being able to keep track of that there or do you use I any mean, more like micro productivity yeah like I'll, I'll never i'll never admit to anybody at work that i have a pmp background because i don't want to be a project manager but i <laughs> i've done everything except for writing the exam which i refuse to write because i'm at the point where i don't think i need education anymore. <laughs> not that i don't think education I don't think I need a certificate to show that I'm educated. I think I've had enough of those in my life. Um, plus, I don't want to be a PM. So I, I have that background, and I'm very meticulous on certain things. So depending on what I need to do, I have different tools to help me with it. So you know, for a website, for example, I'll create an Excel sheet with all the little things that I need to change, and I'll track it as I go through it. So it's just you know a quantifiable checklist um, of you know success points. Um, if it's, you know, I have a whole bunch of meetings, I will, you know, make recordings and then rewatch them when I'm doing other things. Or if I need to like schedule out a whole bunch of things in a day, I'll start to plan it out with my wife and figure it out on our, we have, we have a paper calendar upstairs. So nothing in my calendar counts unless it's on the paper calendar. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I only know that, and there's only a very small window of stuff we can put on a, on a day. 
so I can only put the most important things on. That really defines what the most important things are to me. Um, mm -hmm. So those are all the little things that I do to help kind of keep me on task and, and organize. And, and some days it works and some days I don't get into it. And some days I beat myself up for not doing it. But, you know, it's, it's a process. You do it as, as best you can. For sure. For sure. So, yeah, you can always... You, you're always going to miss things from day to day, but, uh, yeah, yeah if, if you're always on that trajectory of trying to, to complete it every day and, and fill it out, then, uh, yeah, you're going to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, like I said, I, I just finished my, like my nine week kind of organizer and I got over the goal that I wanted to surprisingly. Um, and, and now I get to like treat myself to like what my reward is. And I think that's a super exciting piece for me. Um, so yeah, like, and, and that's, that's how I organize things. It's like, what is my goal? What I'm going to treat myself to at the end? Cause I don't think, I don't think you can just keep working and not really treating yourself. Um, and I've always wanted my wife to be the one that kind of treats me to like, you know, materialistic things. And then she's like, I can't like, you just do it yourself. I was like, <laughs> And it was, it was never, and I always thought it was like my love language was gifts and it never was. It was actually affirmation, like words of affirmation. So just saying like my wife saying, it's like, oh, you deserve it. Just go get it for yourself. I'm like, okay. You know, I splurge and she's like, Did, didn't mean to spend an extra $25,000 on it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, she's like, it's fine. But I'm like, oh yeah, but I just got this deal anyway. She's like, man, the universe really likes you. <laughs> I was like, it does. <laughs> So it's, it's funny. Like, I think you laugh and, and, and we laugh about it, but I think it's also a sense of like, you know, how hard you work, you should be able to enjoy yourself with it. I don't think you work for like no purpose. I think you do it because you love it and you do it because it supports the ones that you love. Um, you know, I'm looking forward for my kids to having a better life than I ever did, but I'm also going to be the dad that's going to like, I think of my dad, like my real dad or even my stepdad, but the stuff they knew that I didn't. But the stuff that I do that they didn't. And now I think of like, what will my kids know that I don't? And I, mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of effort to like keep my knowledge at the forefront of things. So what's it going to be like in the future when I don't understand things that they know? Like, what am I going to be like? How am I going to be as a dad? I'll probably be like my actual dad, which is great. <laughs> like, I, I love our relationships, but it's funny because, oh, great. You understand all this stuff in AI? Do you know how to change? Do you know how to change a dishwasher? Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Like I can watch YouTube. That's exactly what I did also, actually. <laughs> no, I, I think about that too all the time. I I see my dad struggle with like a, a credit card reader and every time he's like, how do I, like he likes to give a cash tip. So he's like, how do I skip past the, the tipping? And it's like different on every machine. And I just oh, am yeah. very intuitive with it. But then I have no idea how to pick up a guitar and play it. And that is something that he isn't a master at. So yeah. That's amazing. I, I remember I had to explain to my mom what I do as a profession because it's just your, your parent, like my brother's a teacher. My, young, my younger brother runs like um, an HVAC company. So it's like very easy, very like traditional. It's like, I'm a behavioral scientist. It's like, that same as like being a clown. It's like, you know, like, what do you do? Or you're a scientist. You, you yeah. mix chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing like that. Mom. I don't even, I don't even have a lab coat. You don't have a lab coat. I mean, I do, but it's not for like, doing work it's just for dress up she's like why do you have dress up clothes i'm like i'm a cloud mom i'm a clown that's it <laughs> keep it simple yeah yeah basically i tried to explain to her like a process of what i do and then 
at the end, I'm like, after, after all this, what are your, what is your, what is your decision on making this kind of goal? She's like, oh, like 50, 50. All right, great. Now a million people did that. 500,000 people had 50, 50 chance. I had to sign on 500,000 people for my, for my business. That's what I do. And she's like, I don't get it. It's like, fair enough. I'm, I'm a web designer. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's actually one of the reasons I just, I'm a web designer because it was the only thing I could really explain to people because everyone understood it. And they're like, you're a web designer that does this? It's like, yeah. They're like, I have no idea what that means. I'm like, just a web designer. <laughs> no, I, I feel you there. I think I get the question every few months or so. So like, oh, what yeah. do you actually do? Like from both my mom and my dad, like, what do you actually do? And it's like, I can give them whatever answer. But every time a couple months later, they're like, but like, what do you do at the company? <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll figure out a good answer for that. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 get, we'll get you. We'll get you with a good answer. So you can ask your parents. I'll be like, "Oh, that sounds so prestigious." It's like <laughs> it's pronounced prestigious, mom. It's like <laughs> you're grounded. Okay. Don't <laughs> even live here. Doesn't matter. You're still grounded. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I see we're at like an hour and a half right now. So I usually ask these like rapid fire questions, but before yeah, yeah, we go to those. I wanted to just jump in. What is your second book? I haven't even heard oh, about it. Oh, yeah. Yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, it's called Hack the Planet. I've been working on it for about almost three years now. Um, okay. So it's it started with, there's a, there's what we call cognitive biases. And just like, you know, the quick decision-making uh, tactics people use. And online, there's always these infographics of like the most extensive biases in the world, blah, 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 blah. Wikipedia has a whole list of them. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like enough. Like there's a lot more than what we have. So I just decided to make my own list of them. And then because I love pop culture, I decided to use all the examples based off of the Golden Girls. Um, there was a TV show from the 90s. So I use them as kind of like the literary scholarly references for the characterization of these examples. And then talking to a few friends of mine who kind of done like their PhDs in behavioral science, we were like, well, how can we categorize these into like quick decision-making models so you can kind of lean towards what type of decision factors you want and then what type of biases fall, fall into it. So if you're, you know, either doing, you know, marketing or communications or just understanding people in general, you can use this as a, as a reference of terms. Um, so I just, and then I love the movie hackers. So I use the words hack the planet as the title because it's just a very common terminology for anybody nerdy from the nineties. Um, and yeah, I just made the book because it was something that I wanted for myself. And I was like, well, if I'm spending this many years doing it. I, I may as well just make publish it with Amazon and kind of go from there. So I think it's super helpful. Uh, I think it'll be really, really beneficial for people. Um, I think I gave Marvin a link to that as well, a alongside the gamification periodic table thing. So you're more than welcome to share it. But um, yeah, it was a really fun experiment for me. A friend was like, this is my postdoc dissertation. And you did it for fun. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and they're like, it is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and that kind of defines me. I wouldn't say that would exactly define you, but doing uh, doing very interesting things in your free time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would, I write it. I wrote it in the mornings when my kids were, my wife and my kids were sleeping. So I've been doing it since like every morning after I did like a workout, or I would just kind of research and research and research. So. It was fun. Nice. Well, yeah, I'll have to check it out because yeah, I know in designing our website and all of our conversations, we're always talking about these topics and yeah. refer back to your periodic table from time to time. So yeah, 
love to check it yeah, out. Yeah, this is this is a great this is just and it's alphabetical. It's a great just reference of terms. So like you can open the book and find a particular bias and you'd be like, how can I apply this? How can I use this in something? If I'm going for a communication and I want to kind of evoke this type of bias, like how would writing it like this? Or you'll read it and say, Oh, this is what happens to me all the time. Is this what someone's dealing with? Like this is someone doing for me when I'm trying to pitch them on a proposal. You know, there's there's certain things like that that can really really drive focus on it. All right. I might have to, I don't know if Amazon does ebook versions automatically, but I think it'd be great. I, don't, I don't do ebook. No. I, I, I do okay. it. Uh, I, I like hard copy. I'm not a, I, I'm a digital person. I don't like digital. I don't like ebooks. They just don't. <laughs> I normally like the hard copy as well. I'm just thinking that with, with this type of topic to be able to have all kinds of notes on it that I can pull up on any device and refer back to would be, would be helpful there. I think. There's this wonderful venture called a post-it note and you can look at it. <laughs> I booked yes. like so many post-it notes in them. It's it's so much fun. I love post-it notes. <laughs> I do love post-it notes too. And the story behind post-it notes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if we talked about that before. I feel like we did. Huh? Um, I feel like we would have had to sometime. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, like I mentioned, and like you saw um, before this, I like to kind of go through some rapid fire questions where, yes. or not necessarily questions, but I'll say a word or two, and then you respond with just what thought, emotion, idea comes to mind uh, related to to whatever I said. Does it have to be a one word answer? Or can it be like a phrase? It can be a phrase. Okay. Uh, I like to keep them short, but I find every time I start going on tangents with the people on, so no worries if you yeah. do that as well. I'll try to keep it short too, because I go on tangents a lot. <laughs> I've never noticed. <laughs> yeah, this is this supposed to be an hour long meeting. It's like ninety minutes plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, first one: pop culture. Shakira, Shakira. Okay, <laughs> we'll have to talk more about that one because I have no idea what that means. Uh, Shakira, conference. Like- Hips don't oh, Shakira, Shakira. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I, for some reason in my head, I was hearing it as kind of like a, a Japanese, like Shakira, Shakira, I don't know. Something. Oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, conference or conferences. Bourbon. Bourbon. Old-fashioned, okay. I would say. Old-fashioned would be what I would, yeah. Okay. Um, unity or Unreal. Unity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, NFTs or educational NFTs? Not that you're picking, just uh, yeah, the two. Argo NFT. My brain. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Just what comes to mind uh, oh, around sorry. NFTs in general? Oh, I thought I yeah. choose something. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Um, the commodity. Yeah. Okay. Commodity. Commodity. I, I would think commodity. Uh, commodity in art. Okay. Uh, the metaverse. Oh, pop culture playground. Oh, okay. I like it. Yeah. Education. Exploration. Failure. Exploration. Exploration. Okay. Failure. Yeah. Two great words to go with education. Um, favorite book. That's a toss-up. Uh, Picture Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Oh, the Days on Dangerous by Charles Leclos. Okay. 
You're like, not what the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite the range there. I had the... <laughs> no idea. I'll have to look up the second one. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually a great book. It's a book that's written in letters from one person to another, but all oh. the characters are writing letters to each other. So only you know what's going on, but nobody else does because only certain people have gotten the letters. Oh, so okay. you get really invested in it because you know what's going on, but no one else does. So you're literally screaming at the book being like, Oh my God, just tell this person, this thing. They already know this other thing. Um, <laughs> it was the inception for the movie cruel intentions. Uh, so okay. the dangerous liaisons is how it translates into English, but really good book. Really, really good book. Right, I almost heard a marketing it. company called black Lost media with a friend of mine. Um, because I just love the book so much. Right. Great recommendation. <laughs> uh, similarly, favorite movie. I think I already know the answer to this one. But... <laughs> I'm going to say Great Expectations. No, uh, the movie Hackers from 1995, but also Ethan Hawke's Great Expectation is probably a close second. Okay. And a third would be um, The Man from Earth, which is a story about, yeah, it was... Um, if a person could live, if a person could live since pre- like prehistoric times, what who would they what would they be in today's age? So they were just basically immortal. They went age, but it was this man in a room with a bunch of other professors talking about like the physical attributes that would have to happen for that to, to occur. And you find out this person is actually the person that has lived forever. Okay. So it was really neat. It talks about like everything from like religion to like biology and all these pieces it was a really cool book it was a really cool movie to think about uh these concepts but it just took place in like a living room it was a really good conversation i love those kind of like thought-provoking things yeah all right i another one that i will check out and then the the last one here um this week or just really in your world what is kind of the the top xr news that that you've heard or be interested in I mean, I think what Apple's looking to do with the with the universe is going to be very entertaining. I think the fact that they're not coming out with controllers makes me very curious on how they're going to incorporate technologies that have been used, but not to the fullest extent, and what that'll mean for the future. Um, yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Very excited to see. I mean, they make they make great products works. and they make great experiences. I don't have an Apple computer, which is ironic because I have Apple everything else, but. <laughs> hey, you need the power that uh, Apple yeah. can't provide for some of the stuff that you do. So. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. All right. And then to, to end us off, uh, two questions. Uh, number one, who should we have on the podcast next? Anybody come to mind that you think would be great to have on? Anyone that comes to mind, I think it'd be great to have on. Um... I'll have to get back to you on that. I can think of some people, but they're not VR specific. They're more behavioral science specific, and they're really great guys. Um, but let, let me let me think. I'll have to think about that one and get back to you on that because I can't really. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No. I look forward to seeing who you suggest. And then, uh, last question. Obviously, we've talked about a lot of current projects. Your your book that was just released yesterday that I didn't even know about. Um, anything that you would like to to plug in general? What should people check out? Uh, as well as if people want to learn more, where should they find you? 
Yeah, no, great. Um, I think if you want to find me, LinkedIn is the best place. I think I, I will preface that with, please don't sell me anything. I think I generally like, I get so many messages of people like adding me and then like trying to tell me what they do and sell me on something. I just generally want to make contacts and acquaintances. Um, things that I'm doing right now, um, I'm building something. I just can't talk about it, unfortunately. Um, but it's big. Um, but yeah, if you want, you know, there, there's a book I just published about behavioral science. So that's like something I'm really passionate and excited about. There's the gamification periodic table. That's super helpful for anybody under the sun. It's kind of a, it's almost like a universal framework for everything. Um, so if you're curious, uh, we'll, we'll be sure to put the link in this video and you can take a peek at that too. Um, but you know, if you have questions, LinkedIn is the best place to get a hold of me right now. Um, and I'm always happy to just have a, have a chat. I don't really have an agenda for things. I just kind of too busy. I don't, I don't need an agenda anymore. <laughs> I, I just need some time. There you go. There you go. Well, yeah, there's so many things to check out. So we'll make sure to, to link to them all. And, uh, yeah. Sorry that we we took so much of your time, but great chat, Hugo. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fun exploring some of the things that uh, we haven't explored in the past and diving a little deeper into them, as well as uh, I just love kind of having some of these stories on record and uh, being able to put them out there as well, because you have so many amazing stories to share. No, happy, happy to help. Thanks, thanks for having me on the call. I really appreciate it.